0: This is episode ten of the Clockwise podcast from the editors of Tech Hive, PC World, and Mac World for the week of September sixteenth, twenty thirteen. Clockwise: four guests, four topics, thirty minutes.
1: Welcome to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's for a limited time only. I'm your co-host Dan Morton, and joining us today to my left, virtually is uh, Associate Editor Serenity Caldwell.
2: Hello there.
1: Hi, Ren. Thanks for coming back.
2: Thanks for letting me back on.
1: (laughs) Somewhere else in this virtual studio of ours is my co-host, Jason Snell. I'm over here across
3: the way. There you are.
1: I see you. I see you. Hi, Dan. And sitting to my left is
0: PC World senior writer, Brad Charcos. Hi, Brad.
3: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's good to have you here. We're all virtual today. This is like the all Skype edition of Clockwise.
1: I, it's very disconcerting after being in the same room just last week. Yeah. We're usually, amazing, yeah, we've travel. gone from
0: all live to, to all, all. although on the podcast, you know, we're all disembodied voices out there to the listener, so, they, you know, they don't That's care. That's
1: right. Well, they're joining us to listen to us talk about technology topics each of us has brought a technology topic that we want to talk about today. That's right, but we don't want to waste anybody's time. So we're gonna spend five minutes per topic and
0: then we've got a little bonus topic at the end and it adds up to thirty minutes. So we're gonna do this podcast in thirty minutes or less or your pizza is free and we've never given away pizza. So you, that'll that'll tell you how it goes.
1: I, I always preferred thirty minutes or your pizza is cold. Just yes. because it's it's factual. It's <laughs> so true. I like yeah, that. so true. So uh, I'm the benevolent co host today, and I'm gonna go first and then we will move clockwise. Does that mean I'm the bad cop? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. good cop and we'll the, eh,
1: cop. Um cop. So I wanted to talk about the subsidy system of cell phones, which we probably all deal with now, which is to say, you go to the store to buy a new phone, they say, all right, you can have this price, but only if you sign a two-year contract. Um, and, and what's a little frustrating to me about that is that the way that they manage this means like, it, it's really up to the whims and vagaries of the cell phone company whether you can get that price when you want to buy a new phone so i'm i'm thinking about buying you know a new iphone 5s or a 5c but i can't get a discounted price even though i have had a contract with at&t for like six seven years and i feel like i should be rewarded as a customer e- even though you know i, I i'm paying off my I'm paying my bill every month i have a higher price plan all of this stuff so and it's frustrating for those people who don't you know um even after you finish that two-year contract, you're still paying into the subsidies and then the cell phone cell company is just making money off you. So I'm curious, has the time come for subsidies to end?
2: I would really like to see the end of subsidies, but I think it also means that we're going to have to see the cost come someplace else. And I don't know if I'm willing to, you know, pay 199 flat on my phone in exchange for a higher cell phone bill, for example, or play more upfront for my phone and deal with it that way. Like, the cost has to come out somewhere. It's not like these parts are magically going to be sure. manufactured more cheaply.
1: You can buy an unlocked phone, but it's really, really expensive still.
2: It is really, really expensive. It actually, it, it makes me, inter- or it, it baffles me a little bit that uh, that the iPad, in some versions of iPad, is cheaper than an iPhone, include, even if it is 3G and, and LTE enabled. Uh, it makes me very sad when I compare those two.
1: But then you have to hold the iPad up to your ear and it
0: looks... It's silly.
2: true. <laughs> it's a little awkward. Yeah,
0: one of the reasons that cell phone margins are, are, are so good is because the price in the U.S., at least in places where there are subsidies, the price is cloaked. These are still really expensive devices. You know, and part of it is you're paying for the miniaturization. I think that's one of the reasons that the iPhone is more expensive than the, the iPad in some configurations is it all has to be packed in that tiny space. But, you know, I, I go back and forth on this. I think my problem is not the fact that the phone companies are giving you a deal in order to you know to make the entry price cheaper because it would be a lot harder to sell a phone for 6 or 700 dollars sure, than absolutely. for 200 and in return you're paying it off over the course of a, a a couple of years i don't have a problem with that i think i have a problem with the fact that with the exception of t mobile in the us the I, it's cloaked to the point where they're also going to make you pay if you don't have a locked phone if you don't have a subsidized phone. So AT&T won't let you bring an unlocked phone to AT&T and pay less for your data plan. It just doesn't happen. Uh, And also when you're out of your two years of subsidy, they keep charging you the same rate. Whereas at T-Mobile at least... You pay for a period of time. If you come with an unlocked phone, you don't pay that part of the bill. And after two years, you don't pay it. your bill goes down. So that's my problem with it is I, I don't mind that trade off of the subsidy for you know a, a two year contract where you pay it back just to lower your phone bill. It's like spread that over two years. I don't mind that. I mind that they've turned it into something that's invisible, and then they charge you it whether you whether you have it or not. There's no. There's no reason for somebody, except now with T-Mobile, to buy an unlocked phone in the U.S. other than Freedom, because it's not going to save them any money. It's going to actually, they're still going to pay a subsidy as if AT&T or their other carriers bought their phone, which is, that's the stupid part. So I, I would say, I I don't mind having a subsidy, but the idea that it's mandatory and built into all the data plans so that you can't not have it, which is why I, I like the approach T-Mobile's taking, and I hope that Verizon and AT&T eventually follow, but I, I suspect they won't because it's got to be in Incredibly
3: profitable. You summed up my thoughts <laughs> Damn, pretty I, much to well, a T. That's clockwise. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, actually, I agree with you. I don't mind the subsidy model because, to be honest, most of the people in my life would never, ever, ever spend more than two or three hundred dollars right. on a phone. But for that reason, I like what T-Mobile is doing because I like the way they separate the hardware from the actual subsidy line, the uh, subscription line. Because. Uh, If you want to get a new phone, you can just pay off your phone sooner, whereas if you go to AT&T or Sprint or Verizon, you are stuck into that two-year contract unless you pay the massive fees no matter what.
0: Yeah, and and the calculation of when you can buy it and what the price is is always kind of bizarre and not understandable by by even smart people because it's all just behind the scenes. It's very frustrating.
3: I actually, uh, a lot of my friends and family come to me when it's time for them to upgrade because uh, I'm the only one around who can really demystify the tech specs and the uh, subscription costs for them because it is so obscure. So I've kind of become the go-to guy for figuring out what's the best plan for people around here.
1: I think many of us probably serve a similar role, but I agree with I agree with Jason a, a lot of what he said about that specifically about the you know the exceeding the contract part and still paying off the subsidies. You're, if you look at the investments that you're putting in, they're making a lot of money off you, and that's not even counting other things like text messaging and the likes. Uh, and, and I think I'm interested to see you know T-Mobile is obviously the smallest of the four major carriers in the U.S. And has the least traction behind it, but i'm kind of interested to see if this upstart attempt from them to you know take it turn it from more of a subsidy into a loan in more way in some ways is is successful and whether or not that sees any backlash from the other major carriers, whether they feel the need to compete on that. And then you've got that weird whole system where they have the whole uh, pay us way more money and then you can upgrade your phone for cheaper every year or something like that, which I think if you do the math on, turns out to be awful all the time for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, thanks for uh, sharing with me on that. Ren, what's your topic?
2: Well, my topic is um, a little bit related and it is on the iPhone 5S, which is coming out pretty soon. Um, A lot of people, of course, are talking about the iPhone 5S's various new features, the high-end phone. Oh, it's got a 64-bit processor. That's really cool. Oh, it's got a fingerprint scanner. Uh, But the thing that caught my eye and that I got really, really excited about was the new M7 motion coprocessor, as Apple's calling it. Um, In short, if you were living under a rock and didn't hear much about it in the last week, uh, it's basically a little um, coprocessor that sits alongside uh, the iPhone 5S's new A7 chip, and it handles... Motion and location related tasks, so that it doesn't fire up, you know, the full A7 chip and run down your battery. Um, Apple sort of teased various uh, various things that the M7 might be used for in its own apps and its own uh, its own bits and pieces. Like, uh, for instance, the Maps app being able to automatically tell whether you're walking or driving based on the uh, the speed of your phone, like how fast it is going in relative space. Which is pretty cool, and then people all over the internet have been discussing various other ideas for it. Uh, Renee Ritchie mentioned that you could potentially use the M7's data to maybe put limitations on car usage. Uh, for instance, maybe there, maybe Apple might put in a restriction setting that could uh, that could limit you from opening the Messages app if you were going a certain speed. Right. Unfortunately, that has some downsides. You know, what if you're a passenger Passengers, in the yeah. car, and you wanted you just want to read your messages? Um, so, but there, it's there are some really really cool uh, cool potential ideas that go way beyond like the fitness tracking aspect that everybody's kind of glommed onto. I mean, I love the Moves app. I downloaded it a couple months ago. It's super cool, and it the gives you sort of a daily map of where you've been walking, how much you've been walking and whether you've been walking, cycling or driving around. It's it's a really sort of little neat app to have on your phone, but in iOS 6 it drains your battery like crazy because it has to ping the A6 processor anytime it wants you know your GPS location or anything like that. Uh, so it's really impractical to run unless you have a battery pack on your phone at all times. So I'm really hoping that the M7 will help improve battery life and also kind of open doors for third parties. There is an API for it called the Core Motion API. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear what other people think of the the M7. I'm super psyched about it.
0: I think offloading battery. Um... Battery intensive tasks off the processor. I mean, saving battery time in general is just going to be a huge, huger, huger. Is that a word? A uh, much larger thing as, as we go. It's going to be huge, huge, uh-huh. Um And, you know, this is a perfect example where, and I've ranted about this before. So the short version is, uh, the iPhone can be a pedometer, but it has to run like at full speed in order to be a pedometer, which makes it a really <laughs> terrible pedometer because its battery is going to run out in a matter of a couple hours if it does that. So offloading that to some place that is really low power is a great thing, and unlocking it for apps is going to be great. And I, I, I think this has got to be a trend for all makers of mobile devices: is you got to find really smart ways of of letting them kind of pay attention to their environment or pay attention to the network but not go into full power mode because you'll kill the battery and the battery tech just isn't good enough so this is an interesting way to get the battery life to be better and still let your iPhone or you know be a pedometer so I, I say I say it's good and I think the apps that'll come uh, will be very clever and I'm looking forward to seeing them
3: I'm excited about the uh, portents of it more than the actual m7 processor itself since I'm not an iPhone fan but I am excited to see this technology going mainstream is bringing together a couple of things that are uh have been catching my eye over the past few months, one of which being the whole Internet of Things phenomenon, which this is going to tap into. Uh, I love the idea of bringing all these outside signs and metrics and everything, having a little processor, and just being able to, the quantified self, you know, be able to measure and everything in your life. I also love the idea of, as you said, Jason, offloading processor tasks to off the main uh, central processor. Um, AMD has been doing something like this, with uh, it's called heterogeneous com- computing, and AMD and a bunch of other people, AMD's trying to push it on the PC side of things, and it has the potential to skirt around some of the limitations put in place now that we're uh, skirting up against Moore's Law, and it just offers better performance for much less power, so I'm excited to see all that stuff hit the mainstream, because... As much as I'm never going to buy an iPhone, I have to admit that where Apple goes, the market follows. So I'm looking forward to seeing Samsung and everybody follow up.
0: Right. Everybody's trying to get creative about the battery life. Doesn't matter whether you're using an iPhone or not. Uh, the you know, nobody's invented that magic battery. So instead, there are all these other tricks they're trying.
1: Yes. I'm uh I'm uh, I'm really opposed to the M7. I okay. I find that I Chase spend against. too much time on my iPhone and I really would like the battery to wear down faster so I don't spend <laughs> as much time on my iPhone. Also, I find that sometimes I get cold and so having the, you know, phone really heat up when it's working really hard is just it's nice. It's warming. It gets cold here in the winter. So you know the M7 taking off that that you know that work from the processor and making it work less means that my phone's going to be colder, and that's just that's pretty rough for me up here in the wilderness. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I do do I really move around that much? No, no, I sit at a desk most of my day, so I, I that just seems like wasted wasted processor horsepower there. But <laughs> well, yeah, now I got this chip in my phone that I don't need, wow. and I can't do anything. So you know, yeah, I'm I'm against it.
0: All right, my turn um my my topic is simple which is i hate waiting in lines i i despise it i'm not interested in waiting in long lines i don't understand i went to comic-con people are waiting like hours or or like eight hours so that they can sit in a 45 minute session with like joss whedon or the cast of supernatural or something like that i don't understand it even if it's something i like i wouldn't wait in a line and that goes for iphones too i wouldn't wait in a line for for five hours to get an iphone on the day that it came out i don't understand it I waited about 30 minutes once to get the iPhone 4, and I wasn't really happy about that at all. That was like a week after it came out. So, the iPhone 5S is not available for pre order, Uh, it comes out on Friday. And uh, people are gonna have to wait in line to get it. And and I'm not sure whether I'm asking you guys to take the case for or case against, but just talking about these lines, I f- I kind of feel like the reason that they're gonna be lines for the iPhone 5s is because one, Apple doesn't have a lot of them, so if they sold them for pre-order, they'd sell out really quickly. And two, Apple likes it when there are lines because then people take pictures of people waiting in Apple lines, and that's good PR for them. And I guess what I'm saying is I'm kind of I, I I get that it's a good PR stunt, but I hate it. I and I hate especially that there's no option for people who don't want to wait in the line to just get the phone shipped to their door. So I'm not really uh, thrilled about the prospect of of everybody having to camp out on, uh, on Friday morning to get just to get a new phone. And, and uh, you know, regular people who want to pick up an iPhone are going to have to wait weeks, presumably, if they want the 5S. So I'm just curious about what you guys think about this whole line, line waiting phenomenon and and uh, if it's silly. Brad, what do you think?
3: Um, I think it's pretty lame. Uh, by uh, not accepting pre-orders and, uh, you know, presumably having fairly limited stock, um, that's going to limit the iPhone 5S to the hardcore crowd right off the bat, which I think is not a good thing. I think it would have uh, been much more fair to have pre-orders open earlier off the bat. Um, And also, I hate lines. I refuse to wait in lines. I've never once stood in a line for anything. A bunch of my friends went to go camp out for Grand Theft Auto 5 last night. I just pre-ordered it from Amazon. I'm having it delivered here for three bucks today. So anything to do to avoid a line would be great. And I think this is PR stuff that just kind of hurts average users in the end.
1: Well, I, I've waited in a lot of lines. <laughs> many many a line for many an iPhone. And I, I agree with, I agree that I'm not a big fan of lines. I I gave up a few years ago and thinking line, lines are for suckers. But uh, yeah, Apple this time didn't didn't make that an option. So I, I honestly I think the the smartest thing to do if you're if you want to get an iPhone 5S is wait because <laughs> they'll have more eventually. You don't need it on day one um, you, unless you really want to wait in a line and like call in and tell your boss <laughs> I'm sick. Um, then it's probably not worth the time. But I, I, I find it a little odd. I, I assume, as Jason does, that this is due to supply constraints um, and, and also, to a certain degree, wanting those, those pictures of people in lines. Um, Samsung tried to use this against them several times in those commercials where they have the Samsung users like watching the people on the iPhone line and making fun of them. Um, I don't know if that's a PR win for Samsung either, because it, it just kind of ends up looking a little bit smarmy on their side. But in that case, I just don't think anybody wins really. Um, certainly not that people are waiting in line and certainly not Apple if people are you know waiting in line and unable to get a phone because then you just end up with really angry people. <laughs> so yeah, lines kind of stink. Uh, I think there should always be an option to order it even if you you know have to get up really, really early to order it before they run out, at least you don't have to leave your house.
2: Yeah, I mean, as as a sucker who will probably end up waiting in line on Friday, I'm not too thrilled about the lack of pre-orders. Although I will say it looks like from Apple Store that you will be able to order it online beginning Friday morning. You just you couldn't pre-order it when the iPhone 5C was available for pre-order. Um, so I mean maybe that's a little bit nicer it gives people although like from in my case I'm going to wake up at three in the morning attempt to place a pre-order online and then if I can't get that pre-order released probably go back to sleep for one more hour and then go stand in a horrible line where I will hopefully get a a silly device so that I can write about it Um, but uh, you know for as a as a normal consumer if I was not you know, getting the device to to write a book about it. I don't know if I would wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning to go stand in a line. I used to do it when I was younger because I like – I don't like lines, but I like the camaraderie of people who, you know – Oh, we're all going out together to wait in line or do this one exciting thing, and you make you know you bond with people because it's a horrible situation. So you're all you know. Oh well, I've been in this line. You know, I I did this line last year too, and <laughs> here are all the fun people. It's like a, a war zone almost, right? <laughs> Except with with fewer <laughs> wow fewer exciting things. Yeah, but um.
0: So your problem is is your boss is is basically making you wait in line, not. <laughs> <laughs> not the line itself. I, I, I like to I, I like to see that we all we may not all agree on, on on what phones we like and don't like, but we can all agree that we don't like lines. Except for Ren who doesn't like them but likes the camaraderie that happens. That's it's a little like saying, yeah, like 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 saying, Well, wars are bad, but you know, you get buddies. In the war, it's <laughs> no, no, not no. This not good enough. Not yeah. good enough.
2: It's like I hate lines, but uh, love the you know, foxhole mentality. The foxhole, exactly. Hate the line. If I if I have to be there, I might as well make a good time. All with
0: right, it. fair enough, Brad. Uh, it's time for your topic. What would you like to talk to us about?
3: Well, I'm going to shift to a slightly less successful mobile device, the Microsoft Surface tablet. Um, caught up amongst all this iPhone talk next week, next Tuesday. Microsoft is holding an event where it's widely anticipated to announce the Surface 2 and the Surface Pro 2, the follow ups to their first Surface tablets. Um, The first Surface tablets, to put it mildly, were sort of a disaster. They were beautiful from a hardware standpoint, but they just didn't sell. They didn't capture attention despite all the ads. Uh, and they ended up costing Microsoft nearly a billion dollars in write downs so they can slash the price just to start to move them. Um, I'm wondering what you guys think the Surface 2 line has to do in order to succeed.
1: So it's interesting because we've been talking a lot about Apple here, and obviously I spent a lot of time thinking about Apple. And so when you have Microsoft you know, as a comparison, it's interesting to look at how the two companies do things differently. You mentioned that they, Microsoft ran a lot of ads, which is true. Um, people often accuse Apple of running lots of ads and like, oh, this is just marketing. But I think what we're seeing here is that marketing only really works if you have something to back it up with. And while the Surface did have a lot in the way of, you know, it was a nice piece of hardware. Um, but something about its fundamental point or use case or engineering didn't appeal to people. I mean, there's no marketing in the world that's good enough to sell people a product that's not good. Uh, and if the, you know, I, I can't speak directly to what, what about the surface itself might not appeal to someone other than I didn't get one. So clearly it didn't appeal to me. Um, I, it's hard to say exactly what they could fix with the surface too, but it's, it's a big challenge for them and they they need to do something in this realm because this is, this is going to be an increasingly big part of what people do with their computing devices is these sort of tablet machines. I, I would suggest perhaps, I think the problem with the Surface ended up trying to be too many things to too many people. Microsoft didn't have a clear idea of what this product should be and was just more like, yeah, it can do everything. It's a dessert topping, floor wax, it opens cans and <laughs> bottles, and it's a touchscreen. It's also a computer. And if you really need to go skateboarding, it can do that too. So I think they, it, Microsoft needs to decide what the Surface is before it can try to expect consumers to buy it.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I also think the initial Surface commercials went very hard towards the Apple iPod silhouette vibe, where it's like, "Look at how hip and cool the Surface is! Look at all these people who are dancing and playing with it!" And it didn't actually get down to business of, "Okay, this is why I might want a Surface. This is why I might use a Surface." And by the time that Apple or by the time that Microsoft started running those commercials, I think excitement had kind of waned and it was like all right well these these fancy dancing commercials were certainly well made but I don't know why it says anything about why I might want this tablet as a device I um, having played with the surface I, I reviewed a small portion I reviewed the uh, the Wacom uh, or the Wackham integration with it um, it still feel, you know, it's not as clunky as Android in terms of the smoothness and the slickness of the actual operating system, but I really would like to see them polish up the difference between um, Surface OS or whatever it's called and the the actual Windows 8 infrastructure. Uh, the switch between them felt very, very clunky to me when I was using them.
1: The only thing I learned from the, those commercials, by the way, is that the keyboard clicks when you attach it. That's all I know. <laughs> That's literally the only thing I could tell you. So I,
0: I've got a couple ideas. I mean, for the regular Surface, that, which what we used to call the Surface RT, I, I think Surface 2, I would really like them to stay out of the desktop as much as possible and in Metro. Um, I feel like uh, Metro version of Office uh, as much things as many things as in Metro as possible because on the Windows RT version where it doesn't actually run classic Windows software unless it's been compiled and that's only for things from Microsoft. I feel like it just shouldn't even be there. They should embrace that it's a tablet and not even have this whole. You can make it look like uh, a Windows desktop when you when you want uh, that. I think they should just put their foot down and say that's not what that product is. And for the Pro. You know, uh... I guess I guess they need to embrace that it is basically a convertible laptop and tablet and have it be that way and I I have my my problem with the Surface I I like a lot of things about it but the kickstand and then the the magnetic keyboard although that's an interesting idea it means that it's not actually a laptop it's a tablet that's a desktop because you can't really put it in your lap it doesn't really work right so I kind of want to see a keyboard that doesn't maybe click on but that gets you a hinge or something that you pop on and then if if you want to make the surface into a laptop you can make it into a real laptop you can put on your lap so i feel like you know it needs to be a little better defined i do think it's got a lot of potential and we've seen microsoft before do first generations of products that weren't very good but they had some interesting ideas and then microsoft soft started to refine them and then they figured it out and i think that could happen with surface i think um you know in many ways it's it's the most interesting uh PC that I've seen in ages, so I'd like them to do better. But I do feel like they can't be all things to all people, and they need to make some some focusing decisions on both of those products. Brad, uh, how, did we did these uh, three Apple people uh, give you anything interesting to to chew on about Microsoft?
3: I agree wholeheartedly with everything you guys said, especially uh, the fact that Windows RT, which is what Surface RT runs, um, should really focus on being a tablet. And not ch- having that vestigial desktop on there is kind of like an appendix. It's so
0: bizarre because you can't, you know, they, third-party developers can't build apps for it, but yet it's still there running Office. It's weird. I,
1: I like that you called it Metro, Jason, even though Microsoft had to get rid of that well, name yeah. and has never really managed to come up with anything to replace It'll it. It'll always be Metro to us. You know, the square blocky interface is what they call it now.
3: I think they should improve out of the bat. I think they should improve... Uh, the retail chain, because at first it was only available in uh, Microsoft stores, and they're only slowly expanding that. And I think if they want to succeed, they need to hone that advertising message, like you guys are saying, and really just get it out there so more people can buy it.
0: All right. Well, that's four topics. And so it's time for our fifth topic of four the bonus topic. Not everybody gets the bonus. Uh, and our topic today is always uh, generally not tech related. And today I'm going to ask about board games. Uh, most specifically, uh, what's your favorite? A uh, board game, either now as a child, something you hold dear. Just really quickly, uh, a board game that that that
3: uh, you you have positive feelings about. Brad, do you have something? Um, actually, uh, my friends and I get together a few weeks and have a board game get together where we play stuff like uh, Heroescape and King of Tokyo, and I really like all those games. But I also have two young daughters, and because of that, the game I spend the most time playing is Hungry Hungry Hippos, and I'm borderline <laughs> addicted to
0: it. Those hippos just keep eating those they're marbles. Always, they're always so hungry. <laughs> oh, my God. That's true. Those are, That's great. Dan, what about you?
1: Uh, my current favorite game, which I've been playing a lot with uh, several of my friends, is called Risk Legacy, which is an updating of the classic Risk, but it's set in sort of a parallel universe. And what's great about it is the board is changes it's deformable there are stickers that you put down on things and it changes the territories and it changes to add new rules as it goes along and there's different teams that you play of that all have special powers and it's, for all that complexity it still takes way way less to play than one game of the old risk so lots of fun especially if you've got like a regular group of people
3: I want to try that.
2: I'm actually going to go for an oldie but a goodie, um, which is the the game that I played uh, lots and lots and lots while I was uh, up in my in my parents' cabin, which is Mastermind. Um, mm. It's a color color matching guessing game uh, that's part guess, part strategy. And I remember as a kid being really, really proud of myself if I could figure out my dad's. Um, sometimes weird, weirdly complex uh, and and strange mastermind color changes uh, in like four or five moves. I was like, yes, he would cheat too. He just he'd cheat and he'd call it a he'd call it pushing pushing my boundaries and like trying to make me think harder. And I'm like, I can't think harder when you're cheating, Dad. But for some reason, <laughs> that did not uh, that did not scar me from the game. I still quite love the game, and I think we played it recently. Um, with some of Dan's cousins, and that was very fun to, to watch them try and learn it. Cool.
0: Uh, I've got two picks. I'm going to say uh, my classic from when I was a kid that I played all the time was Sorry. Where you had the little, you had to move the guys all, oh, the, yeah. all the way around, and they, plus you got to say sorry. Well, yeah, because they slid along the little slides, and they could knock people back to their homes, and it was like a little race around it. And right now we have a family game night. The one that I always try to play is Carcassonne. I really like it. Uh, no board, just the tiles. There are a bunch of expansions for it. You basically build the board by laying your tiles down. Um, it's a nice combination of luck and strategy, which I like. Um, it's not completely random, but the randomness makes the strategy harder and and Depending. You can just get bad tiles, and you, there's nothing you can do. And all sorts of different people in our family win that game. My son has won that game, you know, and he's the youngest. We, we all have a good time. So that's my classic is sorry, and my, my new one is
1: Carcassonne. Well, we have been carefully watching the clock, and that is all the time that we have for this week. Serenity Caldwell, thank you for being here.
2: Thank
3: you.
1: Brad Charcos, thank you so much for being here. Anytime, anytime. Until next time,
0: uh, from all of us here at Clockwise... We want to remind you to watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Thanks, everybody. Bye.